Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. On the show today, we are back with pregnancy expert Lily Nichols. Lily is a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator, researcher, and author with a passion for evidence-based prenatal nutrition. Her work is known for being research-focused, thorough, and unapologetically critical of outdated dietary guidelines. She is the co-founder of the Women's Health Nutrition Academy and author of two best-selling books, Real Food for Pregnancy and Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. In our last episode with Lily, we focused on nutrition during pregnancy, and today we're taking the time to just focus on the postpartum journey. In this episode, Lily and I discuss what specific nutrients you should be mindful of to enhance recovery, what supplements you should be taking, how your fluid and electrolyte needs change, especially if breastfeeding, and how it can impact your milk supply, weight loss concerns during the postpartum period, and finally, how to ask for support when needed, and some tips on what to ask for that can be the most helpful. Like I said in our last episode with Lily, I read her book, Real Food for Pregnancy, in less than one week, and there isn't a week that goes by that I'm not picking it up to refresh my memory on the research and practical tips Lily provides for a healthy pregnancy and postpartum journey for both mom and baby, with all the research to back it up. Lily, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. I mean, I already just got some of my questions out of the way and you're calming me down about my postpartum anxiety about postpartum, but that's what we're here to talk about today. You know, we had a great episode on everything pregnancy and nutrition, but I really want to focus now on the postpartum phase, which I was sharing with you. I have more anxiety about because I've luckily had a very easy pregnancy for the most part and honestly have really enjoyed it, which I know not everyone can say, but now, you know, reading books and just seeing other people go through the postpartum phase, I'm starting to get a little nervous. So I'm really happy we're chatting today, but I wanted to start off with, you know, and a lot of this comes from your book, Real Food Pregnancy, because I think you outlined it in such a great way. But what are some of the things, and I found this very helpful, that we can learn from traditional cultures during the postpartum period, but that we can actually apply it to our modern day lives? Like even just planning for postpartum support, you know, whenever I talk to other moms and, you know, even clients when we're coming up with like their postpartum plan we're talking about, you know, some meal prep and little things they can do, but it's, you know, I'll bring it up, but it's never in their discussion, how they plan out their postpartum support. And I think it's so interesting in the book, when you talk about those traditional cultures and how a lot of the times they're taking like weeks, right. Or they're going and living with their mom for weeks to months and just being supported the whole time. Um, so if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I'm glad you're even considering, you know, how you'll care for yourself for postpartum recovery or or plan for a supported postpartum recovery. I I always tell people to plan for like, how are you going to rest, recover and receive support? And the receiving support part is probably the hardest thing for us modern day women who just want to be independent and do everything ourselves or have that expectation. But you know, in a lot of cultures that 
really was not um, the onus of the new mother. That was pretty much taken care of. Like the support was built into your cultural traditions and norms. So like you said, there was often like an older female relative or several who would either come live with you or you would live with them or they would be in your house pretty much on the daily to do things like cook you food, bring you beverages while you're nursing the baby, hold the baby while you do whatever you need to do to have five minutes to yourself if that But your job really was to just rest and feed your baby and heal. Um, Depending on the circumstances of birth, you know, healing can uh, look, you know, many different ways. Um, So certainly I don't want people to think that um, I often talk about postpartum planning being as important or maybe more important than birth planning. I don't want to like you say that birth planning isn't important because you can like make a lot of decisions around like where you give birth and which providers you have, what kind of support you have that can uh, just statistically lessen your chance of having a traumatic birth. And that will lead to an easier postpartum recovery, of course, but you can also have like a really beautiful non-traumatic birth and have a really challenging recovery if you don't have support um, in place. So again, there's a bit of a fine balance in talking about this realistically without like scaring people or fear mongering, but also just like laying out the reality that is, you know, your body will have gone through nine months of pregnancy. I mean, this is if you're going to term, right. But nine months of pregnancy, birth can look many different ways. Um, sometimes people just end up with like this really, uh, easy, quick, you know, vaginal birth and everything's fine and no tearing and whatever. Um, but a lot of times, you know, labor can be really long. Sometimes it's a day or days. Uh, sometimes an emergency C-section is needed. So you have like the very long marathon of labor followed by major abdominal surgery, or even if it's just a planned C-section, that's still major abdominal surgery and you have healing and, you know, your uterus needs to completely remodel after pregnancy. Like you can't, there's no like birth option where you skip the need for recovery, just like the level of recovery um, you will need might be different depending on the circumstances of your birth and whether there was a lot of blood loss and and all of those things. Um, But the traditional approach was pretty much a plan of anywhere from four to six weeks. Often it was 40 days of really um, focused rest and recovery time for the mom where she had extra support. There was often special foods that were prepared for her, um, which not ironically provide a lot of nutrients that are required for recovery, nutrient replenishment, tissue healing, um, and a lot of, you know, fluids and electrolytes, which support milk production. Like these, it's all kind of makes sense when you understand how these traditions may have developed. I mean, obviously they developed over thousands of years and up until probably, you know, the last century or two, it was pretty much a mainstay for all of us. So now it's a bit unfortunate that we're in this position where like you as the mom have to do like the extra legwork to plan for a supported nourished recovery. Whereas before it was like, people did it for you without you 
having to do anything or ask for it. You know, no, it's like, why did we do that to ourselves? Why did we get away from that? Um, but let's talk more about Lily. Obviously the, you know, replenishing our nutrients, how it can enhance our recovery. Like, are there specific nutrients people should be mindful of during the postpartum phase that they should make sure they're getting and replenishing? Because that is one thing most clients I'll talk to or people I'll talk to that are going into that postpartum phase, like you said, they're thinking about, right? Like baby, they're not thinking about their own recovery and not realizing the big part nutrition can play, especially like whether you have a vaginal birth or a C-section, I mean, a lot's happening to your body, right? And we're also losing a lot. We're losing a lot of our nutrients. So what are some of those nutrients that people can focus on? Yeah. So the big ones are, um, iron, zinc, B12, vitamin A. These are all things that, and of course your B vitamins would come hand in hand with all of the, um, all of those nutrients when you're getting them from food sources. Those are a lot of the nutrients that help with your red blood cell production. And you will have lost whether you had, no matter the birth circumstances, everybody loses blood, um, in birth. And then you continue bleeding for a period of time postpartum. It's called lochia. So like all of the remaining remnants in the lining of the uterus will come out over the next several weeks up to a month. Sometimes it's a little longer, but it's like, you know, can be like a heavy period for a couple of days. People's bleeding patterns are very different, but it, it is a, you know, pretty significant amount of blood loss just from that. So you want to be replenishing those nutrient stores. Um, plus your body has been preferentially transferring a lot of those nutrients to baby over the course of pregnancy, which can lead to depletion in those um, over time. So those are certainly some of the big ones. Um, we get many of those from red meat and especially organ meats. It's very interesting when you look at, um, some of the Chinese traditions, especially in the first week, they were really big on providing liver to new moms, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, you get like ton of readily absorbed iron with all of the cofactors for iron utilization and red blood cell production, like your copper and vitamin A and B12 and like, Late riboflavin, like all the things are in there that support your body's ability to like replenish your blood. Um, the other ones that are really important uh, would be DHA. So that's the omega-3 fat that you know you preferentially transfer to baby over the course of pregnancy for their brain and vision development. Um, but that often leaves mothers depleted. And at least in rat studies, we can't do this in humans for obvious ethical reasons. When they look at rats after they've had babies, of course, they have to like sacrifice the poor little rat to take a look in their brain. They find lower levels of DHA postpartum than pre-pregnancy, kind of owing to the fact that your body is going to be borrowing from its nutrient stores over the course of pregnancy to transfer those to your baby. And we know DHA plays an important role in your brain health, overall mental health. And there's been links to like reduced rates of postpartum depression and mothers who have sufficient DHA. So that's definitely one to consider. You do see in the um, traditional, uh, you know, postpartum meals and a lot of different cultures, they do encourage seafood consumption and fish. 
um, which would be providing those omegas. Of course, eggs will have a little bit and, and um, grass-fed or pasture-raised animal products would have a little bit. Of course, there's also supplemental options as you are well aware, but that's a big one I would recommend. Um, choline is another big one. Um, that one is transferred again, preferentially to baby, but choline seems to, um, your needs for choline are highest when you're breastfeeding at any other time in your life. Um, there does seem to be a link between adequate choline and the prevention of, um, clogged ducts and mastitis. So you do want to be getting choline primarily you're going to be getting that from eggs and then all your other animal products, um, seafood, dairy, meat. Um, and Lily, and then, choline, choline's high in liver as well, right? So liver you can get well. some from there. Okay. Yeah. Liver and eggs are pretty much tied in their the two, choline yeah. concentrations. Like if you're looking at per like hundred gram serving of food, it's just that most of us are not, um, yeah. eating a whole bunch well, of liver. Well, that's what I, I was going to ask you. How do you feel about the desiccated liver supplements if someone isn't going to be, yeah, if you, you know, don't, taking in liver. If you don't eat liver, I think that makes a lot of sense to do okay. that, at least for a period of time. There's a really interesting statistic, which I don't know if I have handy. I would need to find real food for pregnancy off my shelf, but, um, I have vitamin it right a, here. If you know where it's at, <laughs> yeah, I'll find it in here as we talk, but vitamin a is like a really important one for, um, postpartum recovery and also for like breast health and breast like tissue remodeling, which is happening like crazy when you have this I'm like sure. surge of lactation hormones, but also, um, you know, your body kind of like throttles how much vitamin A is transferred to baby over the course of pregnancy because too much can be harmful. So there's all sorts of built-in mechanisms in the placenta that prevent too much being transferred. So babies are usually born with fairly low vitamin A stores, but then the expectation is that the like physiological design is that they accumulate a lot of vitamin A via the breast milk, um, Got it. pretty early on to like build their liver stores of vitamin A. That's where your body stores it. Hence why eating liver is a source of vitamin A, but check out this statistic. So, um, this is from chapter 12 of real food for pregnancy in the first six months of life. It's estimated that your baby will, will receive 60 times the amount of vitamin A that they received during the nine months of pregnancy. It's crazy. So a lot of women oh my already are starting pregnancy with low vitamin A intake. Um, originally I thought that percentage was like 30%. I've seen different, um, data now showing that in the U S even among a wide range of socioeconomic groups, it's more like 80% of women of childbearing age are not consuming enough vitamin A. Like really, if you're not consuming liver, on a relatively regular, like twice a month basis, you're probably not consuming enough vitamin A. Um, and it is really, really helpful for, uh, tissue healing. And of course you need to transfer it to, to baby to build their vitamin A stores and all of that. But like, it seems to be, there's like a logical reason that liver and organ meats, which generally have a lot of vitamin A were so important, um, for postpartum nutrition. So I always want to throw that one out. And like, it, it does need to be retinol, like the animal yeah. form because the beta carotene conversion to retinol is really, really low. So low. Yeah. And like some people have genetic variations where they can't convert it. Um, they've done some studies where, you know, they'll give moms 
a supplement that has beta carotene versus a supplement that has retinol and then measure the amount of retinol in their breast milk. And like, it does not convert. <laughs> like they still have vitamin A deficient breast milk if they're not consuming retinol directly in the majority of cases. I have some data on that in real food for pregnancy. Um, so it does need to be that if you're not getting that from your food from like liver. And again, a desiccated liver supplement, I think would be a wise choice if you don't eat it. Um, your prenatal should have some retinol and most of them are only beta carotene these days. It's really frustrating. So that's not going to boost your retinol concentrations in your breast milk. And the estimates are that like 60% of moms, um, breast milk is low in retinol. So what does that do? Cause that like, that's very important yeah. for babies, immune system function, vision development, so many other things. So like, I'm kind of mixing in the like nutrient transfer into breast milk with the postpartum recovery stuff, but like, it's all related. Like it all works together. You nourish mom. She has a better recovery. Her mental health is better. Baby has, you know, more nutrient intake because a lot of these nutrients are transferred via the breast milk, um, and are reflective of maternal intake or nutrient status. So like, it's all connected. And Lily, for, for moms who are bottle feeding or using formula, do most formulas have vitamin A in them? My understanding is that they, is that they do. Yeah. Yeah, So those are pretty, mm -hmm. you know, breast milk obviously has its, um, well-documented benefits, but the formula companies, I mean, even if it's not perfect, they do pretty diligently fortify the formulas with very specific amounts of nutrients. So I wouldn't be concerned, um, on that standpoint, like micronutrient sufficiency, for example, like not to get into the weeds, but we're going there with vitamin D, like that's a nutrient that transfers in the breast milk. And since most women are not taking in enough, their Mm -hmm. breast milk is also low in vitamin D. Um, however, they have shown that if you supplement mom with sufficient amounts and, or if you're just getting it from sun exposure, that does reflect in higher breast milk, vitamin D concentrations, which can supplant the need for providing a separate vitamin D supplement, um, to, to a breastfed baby, which is currently like standard of care to recommend that. Although most people don't do it, but that is the recommendation. Whereas formula is already fortified with a certain amount of vitamin D per quantity of formula. So you wouldn't be worried about vitamin D deficiency. Like it's really rare to see vitamin D deficiency in formula fed babies. And they don't recommend a separate vitamin D supplement because it's already fortified. So yeah. Well, actually, and let's, let's go there then for a new mom, what supplements do you recommend? Obviously if we can get things from food first, always trying to plan for that. But if it's just challenging, right? You know, yeah. if you don't, <laughs> you didn't maybe meal prep before, have things in the freezer, have people bringing you foods and it is more challenging and you're kind of just grabbing whatever is there, which we will talk about kind of what to eat, but what supplements should mom be on and, and baby as well? So assuming mom is getting enough of things, I don't think baby needs to be on a separate supplement of anything actually. 
Um, this is assuming there's like a, a well-established yeah. breastfeeding relationship happening. So personally, I would recommend like on top of a nutrient dense diet, continuing with your prenatal, at least for the period of exclusive breastfeeding. Um, and even if you're not breastfeeding, arguably you should focus on replenishment for like the first six months or so pretty diligently. So just continue your prenatal as you have been doing. If that prenatal does not have enough vitamin D and, or you're not in the sun a whole lot, um, an additional vitamin D supplement. So the amount of vitamin D they've found necessary to supply mom and baby with enough. So neither are deficient in a exclusive breastfeeding relationship is 6,400 IUs of vitamin D per day in the form of vitamin D3 or cholecalciferol. So, um, prenatal extra vitamin D, if you need it, uh, a source of DHA, whether that's fish oil or algae based DHA supplement, I, I would recommend that we have tons of studies showing, uh, DHA intake is very reflected, um, reflective of DHA intake in baby and breastfeeding mothers. So if you are consuming enough, uh, then you're good. And if you're eating like eight to 12 ounces of seafood per week, you probably are going to have sufficient amounts, but a lot of women don't do that. And so if that's you, uh, consider a, a separate supplemental source. And you get, you get that benefit of the EPA too, for mood support yep. with postpartum, which is something I always try and encourage moms to. Yeah. If you're not eating seafood regularly during that phase, you know, just having that support with EPA. I mean, right. Anything that can support our mental health right. during that time and right. our mood, it's like, take it's it. Big. Right. Big. And we're talking like micronutrients right now, but there's some like macronutrient considerations we can get into too, for like supporting yeah. your recovery and mental health and everything. Um, so those would be the top ones. I think there's, you know, an additional argument that can be made again, depending on your food intake, like an additional choline supplement, because a lot of women mm -hmm. find it hard to meet that requirement. Plus for the prevention of clogged ducts, a lot of times they recommend like a sunflower lecithin supplement. Uh, that's a source of choline, by the way. Um, so whether it's like something in the lecithin or like the choline that's in the lecithin, whatever it is, um, that does seem to be beneficial for anyone who's not eating eggs. I'd highly recommend, um, Con continuing with or starting with a, a choline supplement of some form. Um, if you're not eating seafood or seaweed regularly, iodine could be helpful. Again, your needs of that nutrient are significantly higher during pregnancy and also even higher when you're breastfeeding. And that plays and a ho big hopefully role that's in, in your prenatal health. too, right? You know, hopefully, but a lot of that's, them, I know a lot of them don't, it. but that's, yeah, yeah, that's where, and I think for everyone listening too, definitely listen to Lily and I's podcast on pregnancy nutrition. Cause we talk about supplements and, um, yeah. being on a good prenatal and guess what? You can switch your prenatal when you go postpartum, you don't need to stick to the one that you yeah, were on. Your body's your body doesn't react. Care. Your body <laughs> yeah. doesn't care. You can switch around even day to day, you know, do whatever <laughs> switch from different and prenatals. I think it's really interesting too, Lily, if like planning, and I know this is for me, planning makes me feel better. Right. And one thing I'm actually kind of excited about, and I know my husband's excited about too, is making our meals to freeze. Yes. <clears throat> and this is where all the information we're talking about right now, you know, we're talking about getting, if you like eggs, right. To get that, get the choline from your eggs. So guess what? Like making a quiche or a frittata that you can yes. freeze. And then we're talking about liver, which 
it's been on my plan that I will be making your meatloaf with liver in it and freezing some of those. And so this is where, if you're not sure what to make and what to freeze ahead of time, try to focus on the nutrients we're talking about. And like, or like even we were talking about organ meats and get your crock pot, right. Where you can literally, whether it's your organ meats or, um, you know, getting bone in meats, right. And just being able to put it in your crock pot and have it simmer and it's ready to go, but plan. So you're being supportive for your body too. Yes. Yes. And we didn't even get into that, the collagen conversation. That's a really mm-hmm. important one for postpartum healing and tissue healing. Um, and that's another one that could be like a supplemental option, like a collagen supplement. But I do have a blog post um, on my site called Real Food Postpartum Recovery Meals. And I talk more about like the things you want to emphasize and why. And then I have like, I link out to 50 plus um, recipes. So if you're like, uh, what uh, you're talking about all these nutrients. And I don't know what that means in food terms. Like I've done the work for you. It's all up on my site. It's free for the taking. A lot of people we'll are put like, that in the show notes a book or something. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to sell this because this information needs to be like out there available for everybody. So that links to a lot of different recipes for you, but absolutely. This is a time whether you're going to be doing some meal prep for yourself and freezing it which I highly recommend, even if you like have a bunch of support early on, like your mom's going to come stay with you and cook, or you have a meal train set up. Also highly recommend both of those things. If that's possible for you, (laughs) you can always eat those freezer meals, like three months postpartum, like there's still always going to be so much to do. And your life is so much different with a new baby that it's always helpful to have meals prepped and on the ready. Um, so I was very appreciative, at least the second round when I did a better job of planning for postpartum recovery, spent literally like the last half of my pregnancy focused on like, how am I going to support myself during Mm -hmm. this transition, especially with two kids. And, um, I put so much more energy on that than the birth planning and it really paid off. It was such a smoother recovery, so much more supported. And it was really nice a couple months postpartum to be like, Hey, look, there's some chili leftover that has some hidden liver in it. Sweet. That's like an easy meal. I don't have to cook tonight. It's always helpful. Yeah. That's what, I mean, we're even planning to get an extra freezer box to keep in the garage, you know, cause also too, your freezer can fill up really quick and then you don't even know what to do with the meals that people are bringing you or that you've made. So it is, you know, I'm with you with thinking, and that's definitely where our thoughts have been is more so planning that I have not created a birth birth plan yet. Probably should just, you know, start thinking about it, but I'm (laughs) curious too, Lily about like a general. So we talked about in our last podcast about like a general meal breakdown for when you're pregnant. How does that change when you're postpartum? So, or does it proportionally like having a solid source of protein at each meal, some vegetables, and then whatever carbs you want in the last like quarter or so of your plate, like that same proportion, I would say probably won't change. Just the quantity of all of that will likely increase. So you, you will be hungry, um, postpartum. If you're exclusively breastfeeding, you will be even hungrier 
so you do want to consider that like the very early period of postpartum, like especially the first couple of weeks, your body, it's as if you're like recovering from either a marathon or major abdominal surgery or both. Like your body needs replenishment just from that event itself. And you're, it, when you're nursing, you are using up an additional 500 or so calories per day just in the production of breast milk. Like your body is on overdrive making milk and then you're losing all those calories to, to baby. So you'll be hungry and that's normal and that's okay. And you should definitely eat. Um, I would just say definitely focusing on the protein component is the most important one. And that's because a, like the, the protein is the most satiating macronutrient. So it keeps you full protein foods, especially if you have an omnivorous diet, naturally are going to going to come with a lot of those nutrients of concern. We've talked about earlier, like the B12 and iron and zinc and all that. So certainly that'll kind of like, it becomes a non-issue, um, like nitpicking micronutrients when you're getting enough protein and then a few other things for like mood support when your blood sugar is more stable, which naturally happens when you consume sufficient amounts of protein, your mood is also more stable and you're pretty prone to going hypoglycemic postpartum, um, not only from the crazy hormonal shift, but from all of the energy being expended to make breast milk, you use up a lot of glucose making breast milk. So a lot of women go hypoglycemic and get really hungry and it significantly impairs your mental health. And it literally causes like anxiety and jitteriness much more quickly than I think any other time in your life. It's really noticeable. If you're getting enough protein though, you're much less likely to have those crazy blood sugar lows. So that's, that's huge for just your overall well-being. but you're also using up a lot of protein for all the tissue healing. Your uterus is shrinking and remodeling. If you have a tear or a surgical wound, um, that's going to require additional healing and then lastly, we finally actually have research on postpartum uh, uh, protein requirements. And I believe if I remember the study correctly, it was even at like three months postpartum and protein requirements were close to, I think it was two grams per kilogram. So almost like a gram of protein per pound of body weight. Let yeah, that sink in. Lot. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that means aiming for close to 150 grams of protein per day. And I can attest, uh, just for a little anecdotal story, I was really like gung-ho on protein the second time around, which was possible primarily because I had meal prepped a lot of high protein items, yep. also had like set aside recipes for high protein items for my husband or my mom who was there with us um, to help prepare. So going hog wild on the protein, I mean, I felt great. I had great energy despite all the interrupted sleep and I didn't have the crazy blood sugar lows and cravings for all the junk food. Um, that's pretty typical when you're nursing, when you just are so freaking hungry that you like can't fill the coffers. I mean, I would get normally hungry and still have snacks and other things, but I was like, no, I'm satisfied and stable for several hours. And this is because I'm really getting enough protein. Of course, there's also fat with that protein that helps with satiation. It's not like I was intentionally limiting carbs or anything. It was just yeah. really focused on getting enough protein. It makes such a big difference. And were you still having really like that quarter of a plate carbs with most of your meals? Yeah. 
So I'd have yeah. like sweet potatoes or potatoes yeah. or, um, you know, I do grains, not a whole bunch, but I do like a whole wheat sourdough. That was fine for me. Fruit, fruit was like especially yeah. tasty postpartum. I think probably because you, the you fluid electrolytes and fluids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, fruit or whatever. I mean, I wasn't necessarily, um, limiting the carbs. It's just, we have to remember that it's so in our modern environment, it's really easy to just only eat carbs and they don't mm-hmm. keep you full for very long. They just spike and yeah. crash your blood sugar. So yes, you don't need to fear carbs, but you do need to make sure they're paired with sufficient amounts of, of protein and fat. So you don't just crash and burn all day long. Cause that's like a recipe for all sorts of maternal mental health challenges and just being worn out. Like they just don't provide the micronutrient density that you need for really this like focused recovery. Totally. And I mean, that's not even postpartum, right? Like we always say it's like the blood sugar roller coaster when you feel that way in general, but something you said, Lily, that's really important. And I know I would like to do for myself is when people want to make you meals, have recipes ready yes. that you can give them. So they're not just making you a pasta casserole that has no protein in it and no right. supportive nutrients. Right. And you know what? It's nice for them too, to have, okay, this is something they really need. Right. So I love that you said you delegated to your, you know, your mom or your husband who was ever cooking. Yep what you actually needed and wanted and would serve you best. Cause uh, you know, sometimes you hear two people get, they have their meal train, right. And they get some foods that they don't even like, or they're not going to eat. And this was my experience with my first postpartum. I didn't, I didn't plan for recovery very well. Like first off, I was like, I'll make meals maybe the last week. And then I I gave birth at like 39 weeks. So I was like, (laughs) dang it. I thought I was going to go to like, everyone told me I'd go overdue. So I thought I was going to go to 41 weeks and have two weeks to make meals. And that didn't happen. I mean, it's great being done at 39 weeks, but, (laughs) but I didn't have the prep time. And I had a friend set aside like a meal train for me, thank God, because it was very helpful but nonetheless, we had, it was, I mean, I can't complain. It's, it's wonderful. No matter yes. what, whoever brings you food, you're so hungry breastfeeding that it's like the same <laughs> as if you've ever gone backpacking and like everything tastes amazing. Postpartum's kind of like that because you're just so hungry. Yeah. Um, but I did have people bring me and they, you know, maybe they didn't know me super well, but they knew I was a dietitian, Right. So I got a lot of like plain boneless skinless chicken breast and like steamed broccoli and brown <laughs> rice which is not none of that is unhealthy per se no, but, like, but I would like the skin <laughs> on the chicken for all the collagen and the bones so I can make broth with it um I need salt on all of this you need more mm-hmm. salt when you're breastfeeding um I need like fat on this so we would just like add like butter and cheese and salt all the things a to make it palatable b because like you need the energy you need the fat yeah okay so So you're not hungry an hour later yep so the second time around I was a little more it didn't go so far as to you know request recipes from people who signed up for a meal train we just appreciated anything that came um but for the meals that we, you know, that I was asking my mom or, or my husband to make, um, I did set aside some recipes like this could be good because you also are not necessarily 
in the brain space when people are like, what do you want to eat? They're like, I don't know. I don't have the brain power for that. I have a crying baby over here. Mm -hmm. Just like bring me some food. Like, I don't want to make another decision. I don't have the brain space for that. So I was also kind of preparing for knowing that you kind of live in a bit of a fog for a couple months postpartum. Like, and it's, it's, again, that's like just sort of normal and par for the course. Your brain is going through tons of changes. You're sleep deprived. I just was like, let me take this decision-making off of my plate ahead of time. Yep. And that was helpful. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, yeah, that's just another way you can feel more prepared, but that's actually really going to serve your body. Um, I know we were just talking a little bit about salt and that was where I wanted to go next. Let's talk a little bit about fluid and electrolytes during the postpartum phase. What, what does that look like? And also if you are breastfeeding, how can that affect your milk supply? Well, so your fluid needs are going to be higher postpartum proportionally to how you need a lot more food. You also are going to need a lot more fluids. Again, depending on the circumstances of your birth, like if you have a really, really long, exhausting labor and you're like throwing up the whole time, uh, you're probably going to be kind of fluid depleted (laughs) leading into your postpartum, depending on where you gave birth. And if you had able to keep fluids down and if you had IV fluids, all that stuff plays a role. But nonetheless, like you're probably going to want to be more diligent about fluid replenishment. It does impact your milk supply in the degree that breast milk is a fluid that also contains electrolytes. Your body is going to preferentially keep the electrolyte levels in your milk to the level that baby needs, which could leave you depleted. So if your electrolytes are low, ultimately, yeah, it could, could affect your supply to some degree. So you need the fluids plus the electrolytes with it. A lot of people leave out the electrolytes. Um, There's quite a bit of anecdotal stories of women noticing that when they're diligent about getting enough salt, Mm -hmm. Their milk supply is better. So, um, you know, again, that's a kind of a nod back to the traditional cultures, almost all of which had some sort of uh, soup or stew, high collagen, first of all, because they're using Mm -hmm. like animal bones or a whole chicken or something like that. But those are also really well seasoned, right? You have your salt and maybe your soy sauce, or maybe it's like a, you know, sort of Mexican style with like lime juice, tomatoes, which have a lot of potassium, like they had that kind of built in to their postpartum recovery foods. Um, And then the last reason fluids can be really important is just to keep your digestive system moving. So with all of the changes that happen with pregnancy, I mean, your digestive system is like pushed up into your lungs. It's like, I don't know if you're experiencing this, but sometimes at the end, it's hard to even eat a significant quantity of food at one time because your stomach is super smashed, you know? So it's like, it goes like right into my rib cage. I have such bad rib cage pain after I eat. (laughs) Yes. So postpartum, like your whole digestive system is reorienting as your uterus shrinks down. And again, if all this goes as planned, I mean, that happens really quickly, like the uterus shrinking and your digestive organs reorganizing, but, uh, you, you do kind of want to be choosing foods that are like easy on your gut. You want to have enough fluid. So it makes your bowel movements easier because that's, that's like a big fear. Postpartum is like the first bowel movement. You've just pushed a baby out or maybe you had abdominal surgery and it can feel actually very terrifying to have that first bowel movement or even second bowel movement. So you want to be fluid replenished for that as well. 
So that's again, where like the fluids, sufficient electrolytes. Um, I don't even go quite as hardcore on fiber foods because those can sometimes have the opposite yeah. effect, but certainly, you know, salt fluids and um, maybe like dried fruit. Some people will take like colace or some sort of like a smooth move herbal tea for a couple days, just so those bowel movements are um, easier to pass. And then and that's like, where like magnesium yeah. can be supportive too. Magnesium and that also well. helps mm-hmm. with your electrolytes. Cause I don't know about you, but I find even just working with clients in general and most people were already electrolyte deficient, whether yes. in, you don't have to be in pregnancy or postpartum. So I even know for myself, my plan is like when I have my water jug that I plan to just be sipping on, there's going to be electrolyte packets in there just Absolutely. to make sure. And that's an easy way that moms, if yes, always try to get your electrolytes through food too. But if you do find you're feeling like you're drinking all the time, but you're still, you feel dehydrated still, or yep. like, you know, your lips are still chapped or you have little signs and symptoms of it. I really encourage people to use those electrolyte packs, find one you like and sip on that, you know, just to get, Agreed. even if you put like some coconut water and some salt in your, you know, mix yep, in you with can your make water. like your own version. I have like an electrolyte replenishment, um, recipe yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Yep. Pregnancy. In the recipes. Yeah. That's something like that. Those are also helpful to have around during labor to keep you hydrated during labor as well. Um, but absolutely those, I, I agree with you completely. Electrolytes are often super low and magnesium, great call. You're probably going to need the extra magnesium, <laughs> but it does have the side benefit of, of helping with bowel movements too. Definitely. Hopefully. Um, so I want to end with Lily, just before we wrap up is you, I really liked that you touched on weight loss postpartum. So <laughs> I'm always talking to people about like, you know, that's obviously not the focus, but for a lot of people, that is their focus, right? Or they want yep. to, or they have anxiety going into having their baby about how they're going to lose weight. And I just see it coming up more and more. And I loved how you put, and I'm going to, it's not word for word, but I love how you said, so you said, if you do choose to actively pursue weight loss, focus on your food choices first and take a closer look at the quality of your foods versus restricting calories. Can you talk a little bit more about why that's going to be so much more important because honestly, what I do see with most people is they do start to restrict calories instead and just try to eat less, but they're not changing the foods they're eating that are actually going to be supportive for potential weight loss. So in my opinion, like your nutrient recovery and your support for your body's healing postpartum uh, supplants the, uh, weight loss thing, but, but arguably focusing on that for, especially for a period of time will ultimately support your weight loss because you're going to be supporting your metabolism. So if you Mm -hmm. start really restricting your calories, some of this depends on what your goals are personally, right? So for those who want to breastfeed long-term, for example, if you're going to restrict your calories, you're going to affect your milk supply. So your milk supply is like supply and demand. Like how often is baby at the breast actually emptying the breast and how well are they nursing? That's for you to figure out with your like lactation consultant. But on the nutrition end, it's like, 
are you eating enough and like taking in enough fluids and electrolytes? So if you're going to be restricting your food, you will affect your milk supply. Like you just will. So do you want this nursing relationship to go on for a long time? Or is your goal to, to like, you know, nip this in the bud, uh, switch over to formula and focus on your weight loss. I'm not saying one is, is wrong, but my, my experience is that a lot of women really want to continue this breastfeeding relationship at least for a couple months or six months or maybe beyond but then they don't realize that making the choice to cut calories will impact that. So yeah. that's a choice that, that you need to be aware of. Like you, you get to make the call. Um, but I do also seeing it, see it affecting recovery, especially if you're just focused on restricting calories and not thinking about quality of food. So if you're doing what we talked about by prior, prioritizing your protein rich foods, which arguably will help with your hunger and satiety so much that you probably and metabolism junk. <laughs> yeah. And will support your thyroid health. Like we didn't even talk yeah. about thyroid, but your thyroid has to like completely remodel after pregnancy and thyroid issues are very common. Um, especially within that first year postpartum, if you're eating enough food, you're much more likely to be overall supporting your thyroid health. So you don't end up with a hypothyroid, low metabolism, situation where it doesn't matter like how much you restrict calories, like your like thermostat is like turned down, you know? Yeah. Um, so you, you just need the nourishment for your replenishment, for your metabolism, for your milk supply. The weight loss is highly variable woman to woman. I mean, typically some of it is dependent on how much weight is gained during pregnancy. Um, so the more weight you gain, usually there's some of that, that was like, maternal stores that are like sort of extra where your body will lose the weight of the baby and your amniotic fluid and the uterus shrinking down and you'll lose some, um, from breastfeeding, but there might be that additional weight that's sticking around for a little longer. Um, it's not bad. It's just, you know, there's just differences, uh, woman to woman. I usually go with the whole nine months on nine months off as like a baseline expectation because although there are people who lose the weight really early postpartum, that's not everybody's experience. Um, and it can be different pregnancy to pregnancy. I can attest to that. It's, it was weight loss was slower. Um, the second time around for me, but actually I really embraced it because I felt so much stronger the second time that I was like, I really am happy to have this extra 10 pounds here right now because I need it for like my milk supply. Like I feel yeah. stronger, like I, I, in all ways, I just felt better. And so I was actually really happy to have that weight stick around a few extra months. And like in the grand scheme of things, it's no big deal. You just like wear your stretchy pants and maternity clothes a little bit longer. And the weight does eventually come off. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I think it's very normal to be concerned about postpartum weight loss and body image, like your body is different. Like it will be different postpartum to varying degrees. And some changes will be there forever. And some changes will continue to like mold and remodel over time. So certainly don't, um, don't get too 
like worried about what you see in the mirror for the first two weeks postpartum because it, it, you know, your belly is kind of like a deflated balloon. <laughs> like it, just, yeah. it just is. And it's like, well, that kind of sucks, you know, but it does eventually come back together. There might still be some wrinkly skin or some looseness or something, or belly button will probably look a little different. It, it depends woman to woman. Some people do, looks like they never had a baby before and, and other women have stretch marks and loose skin and things that'll be there forever. And ultimately it's like a, a sort of a long-term practice in self-love to eventually embrace those changes because your body did this like crazy feat of growing and birthing a brand new human being. I mean, it's just absolutely insane that our bodies can do that. Um, but our, you know, really hyper focus on, I don't know, being in bikinis in the summer or like the media or whatever, make us think that everybody just sort of like goes back to their pre-baby body. I mean, like there, there are probably going to be some things that are different forever, but also your body changes like your whole life. I mean, look over the, if you look Mm -hmm. back to like your body in high school or your body in college or your body in your twenties or wherever you are in your life, it continues to change and that's supposed to change. Yeah. It's supposed to. And that's, I think Lily, you gave me the advice before we started recording of not having expectations. And I think that goes perfectly with this is not having an expectation of what, right. Of what your body will look like or feel like postpartum, but just knowing, just having the expectation that things will change, like that things are going to change and embrace it the best you can and just be prepared for it, you know, be prepared for that change mentally. I feel like is more the part too, but, um, yeah, this is the time to like unfollow all the fitness influencers <laughs> on Instagram. hundred um, percent. There's, there's a, there's a website called like the fourth trimester bodies project or postpartum bodies mm-hmm. project. I can't remember the name offhand. Yeah. I, I, I know I mentioned it in my postpartum recovery and um, nutrient replacement webinar, but that that's a photographer's project of just taking pictures of women's postpartum bodies. And you can see just a very wide variation. Um, if you've ever visited like a Korean spa, I don't know if you've been to a Korean spa where it's I like, have not. everyone's pretty much everybody's naked at the Korean spa. It's usually separated by sex. And I remember the first time I went, I think I was in my twenties. It was with a friend of mine. I was like, you know, I don't think we would have body image issues if women were around other naked women and saw like this huge variation in bodies. Like this is so reassuring that there's like so many different shapes and sizes. I'm like, that's kind of cool. You know, um, the fourth trimester bodies project, they're not naked. They're in, I don't know, like underwear or tank top and underwear or something shorts it's, it, it has that same effect. It's like, yeah, it just normalizes all of these different shapes and sizes. Um, yeah, but your body, you know, it'll change and that's okay. Your feelings and like, try not to get too caught up with any of this stuff, especially in the first month postpartum, because that's when you're really going through the most dramatic changes in your body. Um, don't hop on a scale. Don't try to fit into your jeans right away. Just like live in flowy dresses and stretchy pants and robes and stuff. Live in all your pregnancy wear. <laughs> yeah, and all the pregnancy wear for a while. And like, 
just let things like settle. Like a lot of stuff does shift with your body in, in that first, especially that first month. And, um, and like I said, sometimes that little extra weight that sticks around is like for good reason. Uh, again, I actually yeah. really embraced it. <laughs> so No, I love that. And that's what I actually, cause I know we have to wrap up Lily, but I would love for our little rapid fire at the end. Um, I want to make it personal to you and your experience with your kids. And so I'm curious, my first question would be, what was your favorite you time activity postpartum that you did for yourself? (laughs) I think this will be highly relatable. A shower, literally a shower or a bath, like a bath with like postpartum herbs and stuff infused in it and Epsom salts. Like if I could, you know, hand baby off and take a bath. I mean, really showers become very luxurious for a period of time. Um, getting outside was really nice. Uh, once I was, you know, mostly healed baby wearing walks outside in nature. Um, I I think, I think it's Katie Bowman who has that, uh, saying of stack your life of like trying to build in all the things there's not enough time in the day for everything to be done separately. And especially hers is in the context of movement, but in the context of everything you're doing, I think we have this idea that like in order for moms to have self-care, it needs to be um, solitary alone time. And you do need that too. I'm not arguing against it, but particularly in the early months that might be hard to come by. And so you make the best of it. And for me, that was like, okay, I need, I need baby to get to sleep. I, I need some time outside, like baby calms down better outside, just strap on the carrier, go for a walk, baby falls asleep. I get my quiet sort of meditative time outside. And it's uh, just kind of a way to stack your self-care into baby care. And not all things need to be separate. Love it. Um, what was your go-to breakfast postpartum? And I'm sure it could have changed with each kid, but did you have a go-to? Um, I mean, I'm a big, you know, eggs in the morning. So just like <laughs> double or triple, whatever the usual portion is, <laughs> um, at least for the early postpartum period. So that was like, you know, eggs, probably some kind of um, breakfast meat, like sausage or bacon. And uh, I usually, again, if I'm cooking, it's easier to get the veggies in, but I'd try to encourage my husband to like saute some kale or have some sweet potatoes or something. Like just put a handful of arugula on top. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, grab just add some vegetables, please. Um, quiche, definitely. But yeah, some, some sort of egg dish was typical, if not eggs, um, leftover dinner. So yeah. if you're going to make that meatloaf recipe, the hidden liver meatloaf. That was a mainstay, both of my postpartums. That was like with my first baby. That was like the first thing I asked my husband to make. I was like, can you make meatloaf? I was just so hungry. I had a really long, not really long, but it was like a 22 hour labor. So I was just really hungry, like incredibly hungry for days. And so I was like, make the meatloaf. (laughs) I need nourishment. I need protein. I need vitamin A. I need all this stuff. Um, So that was another big one. Um, 
bone broth to sip on. That's, that's great to remember too. You don't just have to eat breakfast foods for breakfast. For sure. Um, okay. Final question, Lily, what was your, what was the best way that you or the most helpful way that you asked for support? So I didn't do as good of a job with this my first time around. It's un, it's, it's oddly uncomfortable in our, again, individualistic, I can do anything kind of world. But the second time around, I requested that my mom came up and stayed with us for about a month. Um, so that was huge. Um, I didn't have any expectations that I would like keep the house really clean or anything like that. So I asked for like, if people wanted to do things for me, like just leave me with the baby because the baby's happiest with me and I can nurse on demand and just lay here on the couch and like, do you want to clean? Go clean. You want to run a load of laundry? Go for it. You want to cook something? Go for it. You want to get my older kid out of the house? Great. Just anything that let me not have to like do the day to day was helpful. Um, at a certain point you like want to do that stuff again. So you're like, I just need a change of pace. Can I just get up and you hold the baby while I cook? Like sometimes you'll, you'll get to that point. But, um, I think the best way for me asking for help was just outsourcing those sort of mundane house tasks and having, having my mom stay with us. I mean, I could fully understand why, that is so like default normal in so many other cultures. She's like, are you sure you want me to stay with you for a month? I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> do please. Um, that said, I had also learned that my mom is like really good with the newborn stage. She's kind of like the baby whisperer. So I knew that from my first round, like I knew that she would be helpful in that aspect. And so you might have to like, pick and choose what that looks like for you, or it could be a postpartum yep. or any number of things, having a, you know, trusted friend come and help out a couple of days a week or hiring a house cleaner. But for me, um, having a family member in the house was really helpful. And I think too, like what I've heard from a lot of people is like, don't be afraid to delegate. Like it's helpful for the people coming to visit you as well to have a little list, a to-do list for them mm-hmm. because they just want to be supportive and help you. But if you're not telling them how to help you, yeah, they don't it's know. Not, it's, it's unusual in our culture to know how to help new moms. So the typical text or phone call is like, do you need anything? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. Or yeah. I'm uncomfortable. And there's no brain power. Or, yeah, exactly. And so to get first of all, if we trained everybody to reach out with something like, Hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I get you anything? Mm -hmm. Or I'm stopping at Starbucks or whatever local coffee shop, smoothie place. Can I get you something? That's an easier thing. Or even like, I'm going to bring you a smoothie from XYZ. Would you like that? And then you can just be like, yes. And yeah, you know, but that's not the norm. So no. you kind of, as a mom have to go into your, into this level of discomfort of like, can you buy me a package of postpartum, like giant postpartum pads or like, <laughs> can you bring me, you know, some, I don't know, a perfect bar or whatever snack you want, or can you pick me up a salad from this place? 
um, you, you might be direct. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Well, Lily, thank you so much. Please. Can you remind everyone where they can find you socially to work with you, to read your books, all of the above. So you can find me on my website, which is lilynicholsrdn.com. Like I mentioned, there's that real food postpartum recovery meals blog posts. And we'll, we'll link that Lily. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, there's a bunch of other, uh, other blog posts up there that you can check out. Um, I have a, for professionals, I have a professional level level webinar on postpartum recovery and nutrient repletion at the women's health nutrition Academy. So that's like a 90 minute plus webinar going through a little more systematically and with all the research, um, on how to support mom's postpartum and why this nutrient repletion stuff matters so much. I also have a webinar on nutrient transfer and breast milk. Again, I say these are for professionals because they are kind of like this. I'm not intending to make this like super practical and, and, you know, down to earth. Like it's very, like the research says this, (laughs) I I try not to make it boring, but it's like, it's, it's intended for medical uh, and nutrition minded people, but open to everybody to register if you want to. And, uh, remember there's a whole chapter in real food for pregnancy, all about fourth trimester and postpartum recovery. So, um, that's definitely the, the consumer level, um, of information on the topic. You can find me on Instagram at Lily Nichols, RDN. So the same as my website and yeah, I think that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lily, for coming on again. Maybe we'll have you back again, which we're Andrew and I were saying our producer that maybe we'll break your record of being on a podcast multiple times in a row, but thank you so much for your time. And this was so great. And I know it helped me a lot. Well, thank you. And I wish you the best on your journey into motherhood. And I think, I think you're well ahead of the game, having any sort of, even considering that like you can plan for postpartum and plan meals. You're like, you're like in the top, like 2% who is even, of course. Yeah. Thinking about the food, right? Like that's where my mind's at is thinking about the food first, but thanks so much. And I'm sure we will talk soon. Okay. If you're currently postpartum, I want to encourage you to ask for the support you need and delegate at least two different tasks this week to family and friends. And if pregnant, start making your support plan for how people can support you and get specific. And remember, if you missed Lily's past episode on all things pregnancy and nutrition, make sure to go take a listen. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate for a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.